The views expressed in this program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of 94.9 CHRW. I'd like to make a real speech. I'd better get it right because it'll probably be my last. I live in a country where freedom is just a word in a dictionary. I live in a septed isle surrounded by barbed wire. But a British Parliament of 400, put in by that 20% of the electorate who bothered to vote, is a rubber stamp. But a faceless civil service with the sort of power Genghis Khan would have envied. But the trade union movement connives and licks spittles to the bureaucrats in exchange for security and privilege and seats on the committees, where if you don't hold a union card, you starve. Good morning, London. It's Thursday, April 10th, 2014. I'm Bob Metz. And I'm Robert Vaughn. And this is Just Right on CHRW 94.9 FM. Where we will be with you from now until noon. It's not right wing. It's just right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be and welcome to the show today, where 519-661-3600 is a number to call if you want to join in on the conversation, or write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org. And today on the show, we've got a little bit of a potpourri, although the second half of the show is going to be devoted to something a lot of you Star Trek fans may not even know about. I just found out about it last month when Robert told me. And it's, believe it or not, Star Trek does continue. And we've got a couple of terrific shows to recommend for you in the second half of the show. It's not just about the show, too. It's about the issues they discuss in those shows. Quite something, eh, Robert? I love that. I can't wait to get to that half Uh, of the show. Okay, well, (laughs) we'll we'll have to rush along then. And, of course, we we got a, a, a very interesting piece of feedback on last week's show that we want to do a response to because it came to us in a very unique form. So we will be playing that uh, as we go into our second quarter. But in the first quarter, I understand you have some comments to make on the recent Quebec election. Yeah, I didn't want to let that election go by without just a few comments. Um, As most people know, the PQ just lost the election to the Liberals, which means, of course, that there won't be another referendum on sovereignty for quite some time, if ever. Uh, When the separatists lost in the referendum of uh, 1995, I was uh, a little disappointed, actually. I knew that Canada as a a nation would be far better off without Quebec than with it. And one reason is that we have two different legal systems, the common law inherited by Britain and the Napoleonic Code or law from France. Uh, We can get into distinctions of those perhaps on another show, but they're quite different, uh, at least from our perspective of uh, of freedom and uh, and, uh, liberty. An independent Quebec would mean that there would no longer have to be uh, over-representation of Quebec judges in the Supreme Court. Their population as a percentage of the national continues to decrease, and yet the representation in the Supreme Court is maintained. That's an injustice. Turn down my headset here because I'm deafening myself. (laughs) Quebec has historically been much more left of center than the rest of Canada. And with an independent Quebec, Canada would no longer have a large Quebec leftist contingent in Parliament. Quebec has a schizophrenic attitude about their language and culture. On the one hand, they, and and by they I mean the minority of French-speaking Quebecers who want to separate, consider their culture not only unique, but superior to non-Quebec culture. 
in many ways. They hold on to their language, considering any foreign influence to be cancerous to its purity. They are tribalistic. On the other hand, they have a victim complex. They feel that they're oppressed by the natural demographic changes occurring around them, and as a result feel entitled to special treatment and government largesse, more so than any other group. The very name of their separatist party is tribal. Parti Québécois means Quebecer party, where a Quebecer is one who is a native of Quebec. To the separatists, this means a French-speaking Quebecer, descended from the original French settlers. Jacques Parizeau made this clear when he, in his crude and undiplomatic way, blamed the loss of the 95 referendum on, quote, the ethnics. Meaning, of course, yeah, immigrants. That. <laughs> yeah, that was quite the shocker. It right? was. Talk about your Freudian slip. But when they lost the referendum, I felt it was really Canada's loss in many ways. In many ways, we'd be better off without them. But upon a more considered reflection, I thought about the majority of Quebecers who do not support an independent Quebec. It would be patently unjust to those Canadian citizens who do not share the separatist views to have to endure not a democratic pressure but a legal pressure to conform to a culture and language which is not theirs. Consider for a moment that there has been an English culture in Quebec for almost as long as there has been a French one. And there's an Aboriginal culture in Quebec which has existed long before Samuel de Champlain sailed down the river. There are also millions of French-speaking Canadians, or Quebecers rather, who are proud Canadians. And under an independent Quebec, ruled by a tribalistic and fascistic government, those minorities would find themselves treated more of a second class than they are treated today. With today's Bill 101, or Charter of the French Language as it's been renamed, non-French-speaking citizens are not free to neither conduct business in their native tongue nor choose how their children are educated. The fact that Canada's Constitution allows this, with the blessing of the Supreme Court, only speaks to our history of appeasement politics. In an independent Quebec, what little rights these minorities have will undoubtedly be stripped away entirely. So, if that province ever did secede, what should be the response of a Canadian government, responsible to protect the rights of all its citizens? It should reject the results of any referendum which favoured secession. If it came down to a confrontation, it should mobilise the troops and forcibly remove the separatist government from power. For this reason, I'm thinking of Russia's mobilisation in Crimea. The parallel is obviously not entirely the same, and I'd rather stay out of the quagmire of identity politics and tribalistic sentiments which drive both the ethnic Ukrainians and the ethnic Russians in that area. And the ethnic Quebecois. <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that what you were just saying a it's little while about, ago? It's it is, all about it? identity politics, it, politics and ethnicity. Yeah. This is a very... Uh, disgusting way to do politics. You know, democracies, that's not even what it's about. I thought we dropped all that stuff way behind us before I was even born. Now I live in this world and it's still the same as it was in the two centuries before. You know? it's, it's, it's just so bad. I mean, even the name of their party, Parti Québécois, it says it right there. Well, We're the party of this ethnic group. It's not even an ethnicity, to tell you the truth. There's really no difference in ethnicity between English and French uh, descendants in, in this country. To tell, uh, you know, there not, may be, not, they <laughs> eat poutine and yeah. we don't. Actually, we eat poutine now, but who's counting? You know, these little it's silly a little more of a language discrepancies thing between our cultures. 
what are they? People want to stereotype a Quebec uh, Quebecois from uh, an English-speaking Quebecer or a, a rest of Canada Canadian. I mean, there's virtually no difference in our cultures. I'm sorry, there just isn't. There's a major difference in our language, and that, by the way, is a topic for another day about why language can prevent a culture from progressing if they don't adopt other words. Because what is language if not concepts? That's all a language is, mm -hmm. is concepts. And if you reject a particular concept simply because, because it came from outside of your language group, then you are denying growth. And anyway, I yeah, digress. I, under I understand your point, though. So anyway, back to Crimea and Russia. I mean, there's mm -hmm. little semblance of freedom in either nation. So the idea of a free nation coming to the defense of a repressed minority is hardly an apt one over in that area. It's just a mess. And the lines could, on could, the... Could, could you even put it in terms of the lesser of two evils, or would that not even be on your way of thinking? I don't know which, which, which nation over there, Russia, Ukraine, is... Is, is the lesser of two evils. Yeah, <laughs> I, I have no idea. They're just... The line, like I say, but say the lines on the map in that particular area of the of the world have changed so many times, a hundred times in the last hundred years. This is just another little change. Remember, just twenty years ago, the wall fell, or whatever it was, uh, about twenty years ago, the Berlin Wall fell. Allegiances were changing overnight all throughout that area: Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, you know, Ukraine, uh, Belarus, uh, Lithuania. All of that, the struggles were going on. They're still going on today, and this is just another part of it. But anyway, uh, the criteria is what I'd like to talk about, the criteria for military involvement in a situation of secession by one political entity from another. Uh, it should be considered. It comes down to this. If the political entity, be it a Canadian province or an, a Ukrainian oblast, which moves to secede is doing so in order to establish a less free country, then they are morally on the wrong side and they should expect a forceful response by the larger nation just as Quebec should expect it if they secede from Canada uh, via the Parti Québécois model. Now, if the province, or oblast, or whatever have you, which moves to secede is doing so in order to establish a freer country, then they are in the moral right. And if met by resistance by Canada, they should fight for their freedom. So if you can envision, for example, a, a Quebec which is not run by the Parti Québécois, but is run by uh, a, 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 a political party which wants... Uh, less socialism, then they want to separate to get out of Canada's uh, largesse system of social welfare, then I'd support that. Yeah, separate if that's your only way to get, uh, get out of the, uh, the socialist uh, quagmire, which is Canada. Sure. Y so, you know, you're bringing up an interesting dilemma in my mind, in any case. Does, does separation make any difference? Because let's look at it right now, or the way it just was with the Quebecois. They were already violating the rights of their citizens, of their minorities, taking, you know, charging business people who put an English sign in there. With our blessing. Store. And with the blessing with of Canada. With our blessing. So who cares about Canada then? What, what, what value does Canada have to offer the rights of the people in Quebec, even under confederation as it is well, now? Well, it's like I said, because the Parti Quebecois wants to separate based on ethnicity, based on language, based on those kinds of 
of supposed values, which are not a proper... And those are the same premises on which they're violating everybody's rights right now in the province. So what would change? Uh, personally, I almost think that if Quebec separated, maybe they'd let, nothing, up, they'd let up on the English minorities. No, 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 no nothing, nothing would know. change except, as I indicated before, the rights of those minorities would be squashed even more. Because so? now, Oh, yeah, because right now they are, to some degree, protected under the Canadian Constitution. They're still a province of Quebec. They still have well, I don't our see, protection. I don't see the protection. <laughs> <laughs> well, not for Bill 101, that's for sure. When uh, the Supreme Court allowed that travesty of justice to go ahead, that was the, the death knell for the, the minorities. Uh, Mind in, you, what can Quebec. I say? we got official bilingualism in Ontario, too. Yeah. So, you know. Anyway, Quebec is not in the moral right to secede, and any move to do so should be resisted by the Canadian government with deadly force, if necessary. Luckily, with the electoral loss of the PQ this week, we won't have to deal with any such scenario for some time to come, I hope. Anyway, you want to introduce this feedback clip uh, from uh, our good friend Simon O'Riordan. Yes, it's, uh, we don't, we've never had feedback in this format, format before, but last week our guest on the show was Freedom Party leader Paul McKeever, with whom we discussed many basic political issues, including the voter crisis, uh, talking about why so many people don't vote and talking about political alternatives in the form of political parties and, of course, the Ontario political scene and how voters feel about their politicians. Um, I think last week's show may have been one of our funniest shows ever, thanks to the audio bites from the CBC's newsroom that were some people found just absolutely hilarious. But uh, So I'm pleased to present to you, our listeners, our first-ever feedback taken from an online video posting of UK resident, UK resident Simon O'Riordan, uh, whom both Robert and I have met here in London in the past, and who's a Facebook friend, although I don't know what that means on my Facebook page, considering how often I'm there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm one of those friends that shows up every two months. But uh, in any case, I want to thank, uh, say thank you to Simon O'Riordan, who has voiced in the audio bite you're about to hear what was probably going on in the minds of many of our listeners at the time of the broadcast. So, Simon, the stage is yours. I listened to a whole episode of Just Right from a radio station in London, Ontario. And I enjoyed it because I don't normally have the time to do it because it takes about an hour, and that's an hour out of an evening. And if you're working during the week, that's an hour out of a working evening when you really need to be relaxing, not thinking hard. And of course, it was impressive because they were peaceful people looking for peaceful change, uh, not a revolution. Well, yes, a revolution, but a democratic revolution. And bemoaning the fact that young people, less than 40% of them are actually voting in Canada, in Ontario anyway. And generally looking to publicize the fact that if people did join the party, the Freedom Party, and people did join and vote and make a change, make a difference, there would be an enormous amount of progress. Now I have to not necessarily agree with this. If people join the party and it becomes a mass movement, for sure it becomes better financed. But there aren't that many people that really get it yet, as far as I can tell. And if you're joined by a hundred thousand libertarians, or you're joined by a hundred thousand dis, dis, 
disenfranchised progressive conservatives, um, then the example mentioned of the membership being able to dictate the behaviour of the uh, politicians and this being a, a necessary break on what they could get away with, um, necessary and desirable, then you're going to find Freedom Party is just hollowed out, eaten away, and there's a revolution from within. You do not want Freedom Party to be a mass movement, certainly a massively popular voting option, but you must be careful because if people start joining up in large numbers you could get an awful lot of people who want to change the nature of the party and rein it in and turn it into freedom light or progressive conservative two or liberal light um, or something else like that. I don't agree that you should go for mass membership. It's good for funding but that's about all it's good for. And if you're not paying attention to what your members think then your members are not getting the deal they want and if you are paying attention to what your members think then you're possibly very likely betraying your best principles. It's a balance. It's a, it's a discussion. You need to set out your positions and then let people join when they agree with those positions. You must never compromise. And you must never allow people to dictate what you're going to do in Parliament. I don't know how many people in the Conservative Party really wanted Maggie to do what she did. I have a feeling it was a large number. But today we have something else. We have a leadership which is joined in with the consensus and is betraying the members who are increasingly isolated, increasingly fractious and increasingly absurd in their demands with everything from homosexual whirlwinds to lack of Christian values to all the weird things that you hear coming from UKIP. UKIP is actually stealing members away from the Tory party, UK Independence Party is stealing members away from the Tory party here in Britain because they are absurd and because they are outrageous. It's a gimmick. You've got to have solid principles and you've got to stick to them and not be dictated to by any number of members. If you have a democratic party which is not managed and doesn't integrate its message with its principles in the name of popularity, pretty soon that party becomes just another variation on the same old theme. As for the other point that was mentioned that people who frequently sound off about uh, potentially violent attempts at solving problems in the state. Well the state is practicing violence, that's what the state is. The state is force. 
The state is practicing violence all the time and in every way against people who have committed no crime. And I think it's permissible to meet violence with violence. Even if it only means prosecuting at some sunny day the people who have committed these crimes and making them pay for what they've done, either unofficially or officially. That is quite valid. And nobody wants to throw the baby out with the bathwater. That's why every revolution that's ever happened has replaced one state with another. We don't have to replace one state with another. But we do have to root out the criminals. One way or another. Thank you. That is all. And thank you, Simon. i got to tell you, you've hit the nail on the head. Each and every time with your reasoning and arguments presented, clearly you are one of the people who gets it. And because I know from what you've said that you're not a regular listener, you might be pleased to learn that Robert and I have addressed many of these concerns in depth and at length on several previous broadcasts of Just Right. I'm going to see what we might be able to do to get a quick link reference and recommendation package together maybe sometime in the next week to put all, put all that together, eh, Robert? Well, sure, and, and, and if people don't know it, when they go online to our site mm -hmm. and look at the show uh, to download it or listen to it, uh, they, there's another link there. It's usually called either bonus audio or clips and credits and things like that, mm -hmm. where we put in links, and we'll put in a link, link to uh, Simon Reardon's video um, on that. So, yeah, just look at those links there on our site, and uh, you'll get some bonus material. Absolutely. Now, Simon's completely correct, of course, when he said that the you know, a party, especially like Freedom Party, should avoid becoming a mass movement as such. It should be popular and stuff, but and better funded. But uh, he, he he gives the same warning. We've been talking about what happens if your party's taken over. He gave two examples: libertarians and disenfranchised, progressive conservatives, and having memberships dictate to the party, mm -hmm. which, by the way, is a trend that's going on federally right now. It's part of the battle over this whole elections issue. There are some issues where uh, some MPs want to override the right of the caucus and the party, you know, the insiders, to actually lead that party, which is disastrous to the whole democratic process. But, um, you know, he says, he's right, he says, if you only do what your members think, then you're likely betraying your best principles, and that it's a balance, it's a discussion. And it is a discussion that's been going on for a long time now, both at Freedom Party and on this show, as we have discussed the failure of the big tent theory and pragmatic practice, especially when, as we applied it to the libertarian movements, which is what libertarianism purports to be. And of course, that's exactly what killed every political party's original raison d'etre in terms of the distinguishing principles of that party from another, even if not in terms of absolute principles. Fiscal conservatives in bed with social conservatives, in bed with progressive conservatives, all inevitably preaching policies that will, in great irony of ironies, lead to fiscal bankruptcy, social disintegration, and regressive government. Each competing interest, when it's working in the same group, is successful at quashing the other interests, but not in achieving its own. Which is why politics, unlike the free market, is so often a lose-lose proposition. When you compromise in the market, you've got to win-win. When you compromise in politics, it's a lose-lose because you're using force. 
Pragmatism and compromise are the two concepts that should never be discussed or practiced in the context of principles and their purpose. But there's nothing wrong with a bit of pragmatism and compromise in other areas, like negotiating a deal, a price, or a relationship. Individuals who are all committed to a single just cause may indeed find it necessary to make certain compromises in order to be able to cooperate with others. Also dedicated to the same cause, not to a competing or opposite one, because then I wouldn't be saying any of this, but to the same cause, in order to focus their collective effort on those few issues and efforts which can change from election to election that are most essential and advantageous towards reaching the ultimate objective. Political parties are not democracies with universal voting franchises. Voting in democracy is for the, poli the, the political marketplace. During an election, political parties are private associations and can legitimately form around whatever peaceful principle or objective they care to. Except in municipal politics in well, London. Well, yeah, that's a whole other issue. So, you know, voting is only necessary or functional in circumstances where a given voting interest or block has to choose between two or more viable options put on the table, none of which would contradict the purpose of the organization doing the voting. Simon suggests we need to get your positions out in advance and then let people join when they agree with the positions. Never compromise. Bingo. That's exactly how Freedom Party has advanced each of its planks and platforms, but certainly not the party constitution nor its policies nor statement of principles. How do we get from principle to power? Well, the hierarchy is basically this. I call it the five Ps. And it doesn't matter whether you start at the top or at the bottom and work in whatever direction. It goes like this. Principle, people, party, politics, power. And that's, that's the order of things. That's the correct order of things. There's one P that has no place in this order, and that's pragmatism. That's exactly what got today's liberals, PCs, and do Democrats to, to where they are all sitting together today. And maybe that's what the PCs really are. PC, pragmatic compromiser. <laughs> I like it. Yes, yes, they are. There you go. Okay, that's all I have to say about that. And thank you for that letter, or letter that, that feedback, Simon. That was terrific. Uh, something unusual. And uh, we should post a link to his actual um, yes, I'll do that. Um, video online when we, when we get the show up later today. Next, we have a real fun subject for you, the one that Robert's been waiting for. Oh, I see you've got some Star Trek Continues notes there in front of you. You may not know his name, but Michael Forrest is the name of the actor who played the role of the Greek god Apollo in a second season episode in the original 1960s TV series Star Trek entitled Who Mourns for Adonis? Well, believe it or not, Michael Forrest reprised his original Star Trek Apollo role in a continuation of that story that was just released this year in which you can all watch to your delight online. We'll tell you where and why to watch our as our, as our show progresses, and in the process, you'll discover why Star Trek continues. That's the name of the new Star Trek incarnation online. I guess they call it indie acting or, or uh, fan, fan based. Uh, it's not part of the Star Trek Paramount canon. Let's get that clear. It's, it's not yeah. official, it is fan based, but you would not believe the uh, quality of the fan base well, this, stuff out Well, this one hit the new mark. That's why we're talking about it. And it's, of course, ac acted by so-called amateurs with, with some surprisingly recognizable names among them, and which has. More than any other Star Trek rendition I've ever seen since the original, captured the essence, the feel, the look and texture of the original series, even more so, I think, than any of the movies featuring the original cast. <laughs> Don't <Agreed>. you? <laughs> yes. <laughs> or certainly, certainly the latest movie version of Star Trek's alternate timeline story. 
Um, S- Star Trek continues, uh, producer, writer, director, carpenter, and jack of all trades, I guess, and star, Vic Mignogna, who plays Captain Kirk. Not only plays Captain Kirk, but plays William Shatner playing Captain Kirk. That's the <laughs> right, thing. He that? doesn't play Captain Kirk, he's mm. playing William Shatner oh, man. playing Captain Kirk. And yeah. except for the voice, he's got it down to near perfection. He even has Shatner, Shatner's Captain Kirk physique. Well, I disagree and, 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 about the no? voice. I think he had, well, I mean, he's got a different pitched voice, and there's no, there's yeah, no yeah, way you can change yeah. it. But I mean, this man is a professional voice actor, and I oh, think no. he has the pauses he's down, you have the perfect. nuances down of the voice. He's nailed it. It's just it. that you can tell it's not William Shatner, okay? Oh, That's all I'm saying. Not. Right. <laughs> but he's got it down to near perfection. He even has Shatner's uh, physique, and in a couple of scenes, you have to do a double take to make sure your eyes aren't playing tricks on you, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, even better, Star Trek continues, also continues the original series dedication to philosophy, to ideas, the basic conflicts between slavery and freedom, the classic influences and mixes of Shakespearean writing, classic Greek mythology, and a conversation-based, dialogue-intensive, character-driven plot, you know? It's like the old Star Trek. Those are the things that first attracted me to Star Trek. For my part, I have only one criticism to offer regarding the first of two Star Trek Continues episodes, which was the way in which self-sacrifice was described. We'll we'll be talking about that, Mm -hmm. which we'll hear when we return from our bottom-of-the-hour break. And when we return, Robert and I will be sharing our observations about the new series, and we agreed not to be spoilers with regard to the great endings of each of the two episodes or how the stories resolved themselves, because they were great endings. They were. Um, And even given the audio bites we have in store for you, rest assured you're only hearing small parts of the greater plot line. So before we fill you in on more, the next two audio bites you will be hearing are from the first episode of Star Trek Continues, which was entitled Pilgrim of Eternity, and it stars Michael Forrest reprising his original 1960s Star Trek role as Apollo in a performance, I think, that outshone his original. Let's tune in for a taste of the flavor. Captain's Log, Stardate 6147.3. It's been nearly two years since the alien called Apollo from Earth's ancient history tried to enslave us on Pollux 4. Now, a much older Apollo has reappeared, only this time on board the Enterprise. Security to the bridge, on the double. Apollo. One starry night on the moon of Sedan We'll meet and we'll fly off forever as one I knew this was important to you, so I wanted to keep it safe. You will honor me if you continue to do so. You know, you have the voice of an angel. <laughs> Thank you. There's that of another. My sister Artemis. Thank you. Wait, you're the Greek god of music. I am. I was. I, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to. No, no. It's all right, my child. Even through the centuries, Music still echoes in my mind, the battles, heroes, 
bravery, love. To love a mortal was to watch the sun rise on a perfect day, only to mourn too quickly its setting into eternal night. Walk you and I through the gardens of old, Adorn thou my love in silver and gold. Drink of sweet wine as brave tales are told. Pray to the gods that we may love a thousand years in a day. Thank you, thank you, thank you, very kind. It pleases me that you still enjoy my music, my children. It was just lovely. You know, Marcius once challenged me to a contest of music. Who is Marcius? Marcius was a satyr who believed he could play his flute as proficiently as I, my lyre. After we both played, the muses declared the contest a tie until I decreed that we both play and sing at the same time. <laughs> An impossible feat for Marcius. <laughs> Stardate 6147.9. Mr. Scott reports that repairs have begun on the three affected power stations in this quadrant. They are scheduled to be back online in three weeks' time. On a personal note, it's good to have Lieutenant Uhura back on duty. Well, Dr. Leonard McCoy, surgeon to the gods. Who would have thought? Just an old country doctor like me. You must be quite proud. Darn tootin'. I may write a paper. I find it highly unlikely that Starfleet would allow such a paper to be published. Based on the highly sensitive subject matter, of course. Well, regardless, gentlemen, Apollo learned what it took our respective people's centuries to discover. Self-sacrifice is the best way to live, benefiting both the giver and the receiver. And if I had an entire culture worshipping at my feet on bended knee, I'm not so sure I'd be in a hurry to change things either. But one thing's clear, they sure did love humanity. Apollo still does. Just something about us lovable humans, don't you think, Jim? Oh, now, don't pout, Mr. Spock. I'm sure they would have loved the Vulcans just as much had they landed there. What's not to love? I wasn't. Captain, I'll be at my station. Take us out of here, Mr. Sulu. Ahead, warp two. Aye, sir. And if you think that what you just heard was the closing scene of that Star Trek episode, you would be wrong. So don't tune out or change the channel just because you heard that closing theme music when you're watching it. That's not where it ends, does it? No, that's the... What, what's the word? Denouement? I don't know. <laughs> but you'll miss that wonderful closing scene that we won't tell you about. In any, in any case... 
have to address that comment we just heard. Self-sacrifice is the best way to live, benefiting both the giver and the receiver, end mm. quote. That was, that's the only line in the whole thing that bothered me, really. <laughs> and the only problem with that is if an act benefits both the giver and receiver, then it wouldn't be a sacrifice by any stretch of the definition. Most of us would call it shopping. <laughs> it's a trade when both people in an act benefit, right? Of course. If being self, uh, sacrificial was a means of one's survival and well-being, then then being self-sacrificial couldn't be considered to be a sacrifice, the losing of a greater value for a lesser. It would be the necessity of survival. So it, it just screws up everything in terms of, of definitions and consistencies. The great irony, of course, is that in reality it's rational selfishness that produces the greatest good for others, and though not with that direct intention, again, making the motive very secondary. Adam Smith gave that phenomenon the name of the invisible hand, as if to suggest it was somehow the hand of God at work in this magical process of wealth creation and the betterment of mankind. However, nothing I just said applies to the immortal character of Apollo and this episode of Star Trek continues, which is what we're talking about today on CHRW, and it was called Pilgrim of Eternity. Because in his case, we discovered that he actually does benefit by performing not what we would call acts of sacrifice, but acts of kindness. Isn't that right, Robert? Yes, it is. And uh, apparently he doesn't need to eat or have shelter, and, uh, you know, he does, after all, have the power of a god, right? But the challenging aspect of sacrifice in this episode occurs when Apollo and the Enterprise crew all come to realize that the sacrifice of others to him, Apollo which is what he attempted to do to the crew in the original TV series, was not the source of his godly power as originally assumed. It was merely the so-called act of a sacrifice on Apollo's part that was all that was necessary for him to sustain himself. But there are too many inherent contradictions and illogical premises based on this concept to really make it work, and I think in this case the writers were a little overambitious and overshot the mark somewhat, although the telling of the story was a lot of fun to watch. I still like this episode very much, and the unexpected ender put that extra touch of je ne sais quoi to the show. I don't know. Of course, the first episode's promotion of self-sacrifice as the best means to mutually selfish ends was an epistemological disaster of contradictory proportions. Of course, Apollo sacrificed nothing at all, but gained his life, and here the concept of sacrifice was clearly and explicitly being mystified as one of mere kindness and benevolence that benefits both receiver and giver of that kindness. Otherwise, there's certainly a consistent, philosophically pro-freedom, anti-slavery philosophy and sense of life to both the first episode and especially to the second of Star Trek Continues, entitled Lolani, which we'll be discussing a little bit more later on. But first, we want to tell you a little bit about this new series and... um, Robert first told me about this on March 16th, middle of last month, when you sent me that email. You said, just give me an email. Hey, Bob, you got to check these two, two episodes out. Because they are available where? On YouTube, right? You can watch yep. them right on YouTube. Free to download on yep. YouTube. And uh, that's the thing about them. They're not copyrighted, as far as I know. They are uh, fan-based. Uh, they're using Paramount's uh, material, which they freely acknowledge is Paramount's. And I believe Paramount, of course, has given them... Of course, they're cooperating. They have to Cooperation, be. Yeah, of yeah. course. And so they cannot claim copyright, that I know of, but of course, credit to where it's due, and all these people deserve a lot of credit for a fine product. 
Absolutely. If you want to re-experience the original Star Trek feel with new stories and different actors, these episodes will do the trick, especially the second one. Now, of course, the actor who played Apollo in the first episode was the same actor who played him in the original series, Michael Forrest. And here's some interesting tidbits for you, and you might add some more, Robert. The computer voice is played by Marina Sirtis, who was, of course, Counselor Troy of Star Trek Next Generation. You know where I've heard Marina Sirtis first? Where? It was from um, Sherlock Holmes with Jeremy Brett. She played in an episode. Are you kidding? No, I'm not kidding. What episode? She played. That? Um, oh, was it the Six Napoleons? I'm not sure. She, um, she played a, a jilted lover or something like that. I've got to check that. An out. Italian. I never. Yeah. Even, I never even. Never even spotted it. Oh. Um, and Scotty, this is great. Is actually played by James Doohan. Son, Chris, the original Scotty. Mm-hmm. And does Local he have, boy? Huh? Local boy, yes. born in Toronto. Of course, James Duane is from Chatham, just down the street. Is it Chatham or Sarnia? I kept hearing uh, one or the other. I, I don't thought know. it was Chatham. Okay. I could be wrong. Uh, and uh, boy, does he ever have his father spin to the role. He's the only one up th- with the voice that sounds most like a voice from the original cast, and he's got his father, Scotty, pegged down to perfection. And he's a fine actor to boot. I, I think know. so. And you know, he was actually on Star Trek, uh, the recent Star Trek made in 2009. He had a, ca- a little bit of a cameo oh, in there in the uh, transporter room. And here's another one. Aaron Gray, who played Wilma from the original Buck Rogers series, also plays a role. And oh, it, William, uh, Captain Deering. Yes. Yeah. And uh, Lou Ferrigno, uh, who plays Zaminon, is totally fun to watch in his role as a slave master oh, he in, was in the second episode. Just, just amazing. Um, were, were there any other names? I know, you know, there was one or two others. Um, I know the fellow who played, um, who was it, uh, uh, Zulu. You said he, told, he, he showed up in some other show as well. Oh, and you just told uh, me that uh, someone else in there was from, from another the show. Thing like, is I mean, a lot of these Star Trek fan base shows, and by the way, these yeah. are not the first fan base productions out there. There was a lot more. Oh, no, there's a bunch out of them. There. We've uh, discussed them before. A lot of done by uh, Farragut Films. Yeah. Um, but Grant Imahara, uh, as Mr. Sulo, Grant was uh, is one of the hosts of Discovery Channel's uh, Mythbusters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, that's what it was, right? Yeah. So otherwise, these are all very professional amateur actors who play the original roles of Captain Kirk, etc., in the original style of the series, very beautifully and respectfully done, tightly and well directed. There's no boring or irrelevant scenes like you, you get a lot. I have to make special tightly edited, greatly yes, edited. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I have to make special mention of a few unknown actors, at least as far as Star Trek goes. Fiona Vroom in the role of Lolani was excellent. If, if her performance didn't work, that, that episode wouldn't have worked. Yeah. And I have to also add a fellow named Matthew Ewald as Crewman Kenway. i got to say, he looked, sounded, and acted like he was plucked right out of the set of the original <laughs> series. Uh, he's the guy with the red shirt, by the way. <laughs> and I know what you're all thinking. But I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> I think this shook t- th- these shows took risks, especially given their amateur, low-budget status. Um, having Michael Forrest sing as Apollo, as well as Uhura singing to the crew in the rec, re- rec room there, attempting the humor they did as in the original series and getting away with it. They pulled it off nicely. Um, the sets are beautiful. They're unparalleled. The lighting and color are 1960s magnificent. That's the thing uh, that struck me was the lighting was like... Oh, my God, this is Star Just Trek. How, how did they yeah. recreate that? That was magnificent. Yeah, recorded in high def, the whole deal, right? But the characters grow on you. The music score, which you can hear. So 
Our next scene from Star Trek Continues are from the second and flawless episode entitled Lolani, the name of the green Orion slave girl played exquisitely by Fiona Vroom. Um, by the way, Lou Ferrigno, who plays Zaminon, the green Orion slave master, was superb in his role in this. And uh, he caused Scotty, played by Chris Dewan, to comment, he seems nice for a slave trader. <laughs> <laughs> and it was very funny in the classic Star Trek style, and, right? And you might get this, uh, this bit of a joke, but uh, Lou Ferrigno was, I, I wonder if he took the role because he was painted green. Uh, I don't know. Because <laughs> if you remember, like Lou the Ferrigno Hulk. Played, yeah, played the Hulk, the Hulk back right. in uh, Bill Bixby's day, yeah. Yeah, so it's too bad you can't see the sets, costumes, special effects, and tight camera shots zeroing in on the facial expressions and reactions, which are second to none that complement the audio we're about to hear. Now, the scene we're entering, Olani has effectively turned to the crew of the Enterprise for political asylum, which they're not really in a position to offer due to the politics of the situation. We enter the following scene... Just as Mr. Spock completes a dramatic and very next generation like I thought, mind meld with Lolani, after witnessing her slitting the throat of her former slave owner with a knife. <gasps> well, will you report that I'm a murderer? Will you send me to some Federation prison? No. You are not subject to our laws. And besides, you were defending yourself as anyone in your situation would do. But you will send me back. The bruises on my body are not from the Tellarites. Zamanhan beats his slaves. What is he going to do to me when I go back there? And the others like me, they don't even know any better. They think they deserve it. We are not diplomats, Lolani. We do not have the authority to... To do what? To make a difference in the unbearable hell that is the slave trade on my planet? Well, I could! I could be the voice for women who have none! Not if you send me back in chains. Please, Captain. How long before Zamanhan's ship arrives? His course and speed puts him here in a moment. And then what? We just hand her over as if she's property? Under Orion law, she is. We do not have the right... Spock, you of all people, you saw what happened to her. You felt it. Isn't that bigger than some planet's immoral law? I confess I... was unprepared for the anguish I experienced during my mind meld with Lolani. I empathize with her. And there are many more like her. And don't we empathize with all beings who are forced into slavery? But there are other things to consider. Such as? She's dangerous. She brandished a knife at the captain. She attempted to steal a shuttlecraft. Dr. McCoy had to inoculate the entire crew to protect against her. That's true. But you can't condemn her for her body's own natural physiology. Especially she's only using it to try to gain her freedom. And can you imagine what will happen to her when she's returned? considering all that she's done just to escape. The Orions are not known for their civility, gentlemen. She could be beaten to death. Starfleet isn't here. If they were, perhaps they'd see things differently. But they'd still be bound by the same laws that we are. Captain, Orion vessel approaching with one passenger on board. He's signaling he's ready for transport. Have the transport room stand by. We're on our way. Isn't there something we can do?
dinner. We'll treat him with all the proper courtesy and serve him a civilized dinner he won't soon forget. an earth vegetable. It is called eggplant. Wonderful. It tastes almost like a wing slug. Does it also scream when it boils? <coughs> no, it does not. And what is this beverage? It's an earth wine called Shiraz. I can't take the alcohol. They should have can. So, I'm curious, Zamenhan. The females of your species release a powerful pheromone that I had to inoculate the crew against. It's good you did that, Doctor. Are the males of your species gifted with a similar biochemical control? Being under the pressure of females for decades hindered us from developing into their level of potency. But yes, we do have a certain natural scent that can attract the desired mate. Lelani says you're a brutal monster. <laughs> Captain, she's a very troubled girl. I respect you know any more about her history than she wishes you to. I treat her well. All my girls, they're all well cared for. Please forgive Mr. Scott for his lack of sensitivity. No apology necessary. I've got 218 slaves more than any other on a lion. Beautiful guild, beautiful. They provide pleasure and passion throughout the galaxy. I estimate that bits and practices will be a source of interest to you. I'm happy to be an ambassador for my culture. Don't hold back, just ask me any question. It's my understanding that the Orion people have practiced slavery since the discovery of fire. Correct. Surely it wasn't a universally accepted concept? Perhaps it even caused a war or two in your early tribal culture? Possibly. The Alliance never cared to chronicle our history in great detail. How do you ever expect to learn from it? Easy, Doctor. I mean, who are we to judge a system that has worked for the Orions for hundreds of years? I've heard that your females are uh, actually quite comfortable and happy in their standing. That's right, Captain. You know, after the Civil War, our women had no purpose. It fell upon the men to give them direction. They're next to animals without it. Now that, I can understand. Take Dr. McKenna here. She's obstinate when she doesn't get her own way. and She certainly benefits from my guidance as a man. I'm wondering, how much would you pay for her? Excuse me? How much is she worth? She could be your 219th. Nah, I couldn't put a price on it. This woman educated, refined, civilized. Slavery's not for her kind. But she challenges me, Zamenhan. She questions my authority on and on. Captain, don't be unreasonable. She clearly learned and capable. And what about Lolani? She's as learned and capable as any Starfleet officer. Animals do not thirst for knowledge and strive to better themselves. She's consumed a wealth of learning as you've consumed your food, Zamenhan. She's not a slave. She's a woman. 
And even without the knowledge, education, beauty, talent, she is still a woman with a fundamental right to be free. Captain, you're a shrewd one. I like you. But the hour's late, and we're not going to change each other's minds over a fine dinner. With your permission, Captain, I'd like to take my leave and return with my... Lonani. Fascinating, but not unexpected. Captain. I'm sorry, Doctor. Simply trying to illustrate a point. What did you hope to accomplish, sir? Well, I hoped that if he saw Lolani the way we do, perhaps he wouldn't take her away. Well, it didn't appear to work. Any other ideas? Nothing. I believe it may be time to say goodbye. You know, Bob, watching those episodes gave me goosebumps for their realism to the original. Oh, me too. Star I was, Trek. I was, I was constantly stunned all the way through. Every scene pulled me in further and further until yeah. I forgot I wasn't watching the original. Now, let's not forget that um, they also did three vignettes, three mm-hmm. scenes um, which they made up themselves. Uh, one was, uh, I think, it was the doctor's birthday, um, and a couple others yeah. that were just genuinely funny to watch and, and very clever. Another one where's, um, where Uhura sits in the captain's chair, just like a three or four minute vignette that had me rolling. It was just, it was so funny. I haven't seen those yet. I have to check them out. Oh, yes. Yeah, you got to do that. Now, just a few observations of my own on the whole thing. And you're talking about the self-sacrifice at the end of that first episode. And I think that what they tried to capture there, and of course I could be totally wrong, was at, uh, at the end of a lot of episodes of Star Trek The Original, they tried to uh, embrace the humanity, right? Yeah. Say humanity versus a robot, humanity versus Spock and Vulcans, um, emotion over um, pure reason, that kind of a thing. And I think that that's what um, the writers, and I think Vic Minona on this one was a writer as well, tried to capture here was that kindness, human kindness, was a human trait, and they wanted to emphasize that at the end of it uh, to this alien god. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, they, like, I agree with you, they used the wrong word, self-sacrifice. Uh, they defined it wrong. Um, just to go down the list of actors, and on the um, webpage, Star Trek Continues, they call themselves a ragtag team of entertainment professionals because that's what they are. They're not amateurs, really. No, it's, you can't really call them amateurs. No, some no. of them are amateur actors, like the person who played the uh, the doctor, I think, was an amateur actor, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Larry Nemechek. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was actually a, a major fan of the show, and he's written a, a book about it called The Con of Roth, actually a documentary. The Con of Roth. The Con of Roth, <laughs> <laughs> C-O-N. But anyway, uh, just to go down the list, uh, Vic Minona is a voice actor by profession, and he's done a lot of, uh, hundreds, by the way, of uh, voices for uh, a lot of Japanese anime um, and a lot of video games. And he is, uh, if you go on his website, you will not believe what you see because he's posted videos of himself as probably a 10-year-old boy with his friends, dressed up as Captain Kirk and Spock and McCoy, doing silent, because I think it was probably with a home... Uh, eight millimeter Eight millimeter, or yeah. yeah. 
Um, and they did uh, the cu- cardboard cutouts covered in tin foil to represent the transporter. <laughs> they had phasers and communicators. So this guy, Vic, has been doing this for a long time, and I can just imagine how much fun he's having doing well, this well, show. I saw, I saw that link you sent me where they were all interviewed, the cast, and how they raised money for, for putting these things together. Yes. They raised $100,000 from their fans yeah. to put three episodes together. The third one's not out of the can yet, but they're making it. And by via so, Kickstarter. Yeah, yeah. but uh, I guess they're, so. that works out to, what, 35000 roughly, give or take, each episode? That is yeah. stunning. Because the original Star Treks, which weren't as good-looking as this, cost, in the 60s, <laughs> over $300,000 an episode, which yeah. was then the most expensive television show on TV. Yeah. Yeah. And just imagine what you're going to do today with the, with the, oh, with the yes. money you've got. Just to go down the list, though, Todd Habercorn is Mr. Spock. He is really well done as well. He just nails this as well. He's good. Uh, Larry Nemechek, I said, is McCoy. Mm-hmm. Chris Doohan, uh, son of Scotty, is... Um, uh, unbelievably good. Yeah, yeah, yeah very good. Uh, Grant Imaharu, uh, Imahara as uh, Sulu. Kim Stinger as a horror was great. Uh, Wyatt Leonard as uh, Ensign Chekhov. I really enjoyed him as well. Now, I have to bring a special highlight to one actress there in a role that was not part of the original canon of Star Trek. I'm glad you're doing this. I forgot her. (laughs) Michelle Specht plays Dr. Elise McKenna, ship's counselor. And this is an introduction, of course, of that role on the original series because we were not introduced to a counselor on a starship until Next Generation. But Michelle Specht was fantastic. And this, uh, to give you an idea of of her bubbly style of acting, the way she at least approached this role, uh, on the uh, website it's described as, she lives in Los Angeles and spends most of her time on set being told in various forms, great, now turn it down a notch. (laughs) (laughs) You know, she reminded me a bit of the character Dr. Crusher. From yes. from uh, next long gen. red hair, yeah, yes. yeah. <laughs> with the long red hair and a little bit of the way she was, yeah. I'm going to wrap this up uh, today by telling people out there, the fans of Star Trek, like ourselves, that Star Trek Renegades, done by another group, by, by the way, I think, it's a fan beat creative project to create a pilot for a new Star Trek series, and several of the former Star Trek actors will appear, including Walter Koenig, Robert Picardo, and Tim Russ, and Tim Russ will be directing the pilot. By the way, it's in the can. Wow. They're doing post-production now. It's going to be released in the fall. And Star Trek Renegades, look for it online. That's all we got, Bob. That's it for this week, so check it out online. Join us again next week when we'll continue our journey in the right direction. Until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and be right back here. We will. See ya. Live long and prosper. <laughs> color, color into black and white. That's the extent of my French. I am Canadian, but I'm from uh, Ontario, and we all drop French in grade nine.